Good to see you all. Good to see you all. Uh, we are in the middle of a series. We've been calling it Freedom. We've been walking through the Beatitudes. I've really been enjoying it. Uh, for those that don't know, the Beatitudes are Jesus' big introduction to his kingdom. It's kind of how he starts off explaining what he's doing, what he's up to. And he uses these phrases that we call the Beatitudes that describe what the nature of people who belong to his kingdom look like and what they do. And we've particularly been looking at how this series of Beatitudes, one by one, is actually a path out of, well, really all kinds of sin, but specifically we've been looking at the topic of addiction in that uh, the Beatitudes provide this path that leads us into wholeness and freedom. And just to sum up a little bit of the last few weeks, in case this is your first time here, what we've been talking about is that addiction is actually our solution uh, in dealing with the anxiety that's in our life without faith or love. And we actually all experience anxiety. We, the world is out of all of our control. If you've controlled your whole world, congratulations. I certainly have not controlled my entire world. And that creates anxiety. And we're offered all kinds of solutions for dealing with that anxiety in the world. And many of them are, seem like they work. Many of them seem like they, they, they suppress that momentary feeling of being freaked out and falling. And there's things that we can grasp onto. But one of, the, one of the points of what Jesus is trying to say is all the things that we would latch onto in this world ultimately fail in bringing us actual lasting peace and freedom. And the things in this world that we're tempted to grab onto instead of him and instead of his kingdom almost work. They almost work. They work maybe in the short term. They work, they, they, they almost satisfy. They almost get rid of our anxiety. And we're talking about how addiction is a reliance on that which almost works. <laughs> and we start to rely on these things that never quite work. And of course, we need more and more and more of them. And so uh, we've been talking about how we're actually all on a spectrum of addiction as we're working through letting go of the things of this world that almost satisfy and start to latch onto him. So the idea of an addict is not maybe the image that we conjure in our minds. The idea of an addict is anyone who is working through letting go of this world and grasping on to the kingdom that Jesus is trying to describe as that which is about faith and love and ultimately satisfies and ultimately brings us peace and all these things. So at this point in the journey, how far we've got is the first few are a lot about what's going on inside our own hearts eternally. We've been talking about how we have to be in the face of our addictions, we first have to be humble and admit we're not God and aren't great at picking the things we grab onto. We've had to talk about grieving, the fact that we've forsaken what we're meant for. We grieve that we have been sinful and, it, and it's hard to come to grips with that. And then we have to receive mercy in that place, which is, I mean, a few weeks ago we talked about how we receive and give mercy as the economy of the kingdom because what am I gonna do to pull myself out of this? I have to actually receive mercy. And then last week we talked about how the result of that, like, humility and receiving mercy is you wind up in God's presence and we're just still and know that he's God and he's brought us there like he brings us through what is a difficult journey of humility and grief and all these things but at the end we arrive in this place of oh like I'm 
loved and accepted and my heart is rightly devoted to God. Like he's brought us into his presence and I go, oh, you are the only object worthy of my love and affection. You satisfy. I so appreciated last week. There was just so much, just this beautiful idea of going, ah, you're what my heart desires. And we just sit with him there and it's beautiful. I love that. But the journey of freedom actually isn't even quite over. You'd think winding up in God's presence and being peaceful and hmm, here we are is the end. But actually the gospel has a much more comprehensive solution and freedom is actually much bigger than just finding a sort of Zen place of you and Jesus off in a corner, uh, even though that is beautiful. But there's actually more going on than just retreating away to a relationship with one person. He saves us more holistically than that. So, Uh, The title of today's sermon is Reconciliation Versus Avoidance. Now, the fact is, is that our addictive behavior, the things that that almost satisfy, our commitment to them, uh, actually harm our relationships. They are not great at leading us into love and, and connection with other people as we think more and more about ourselves. Faith and love always lead us into relationship, but addiction takes us deeper and deeper into ourselves, which is the root of all relational discord, is a deepening of our selfishness and selfish desires. That is a one-way ticket to harming relationships with other people, selfishness. We kind of know this instinctively. So the next step in our path to freedom is to actually mend the relationships that we've broken with our sin to actively make amends, to actively be reintroduced back into a community of people. So, Matthew 5, verse 9 says this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. This is a apt scripture for today. Even just like a, that video was, wow, very gripping. And I'm just reminded again, I was like, God is so committed to peace. This is what his kingdom is like. He's committed to peace. So let's unpack what that means for this world and for you and I. So this is where in our, I'll speak personally, so far in our series as we've been tracking with humility, grieving my sin, being forgiven, receiving mercy, finding God's presence, I personally in my particularly Western mindset am quite comfortable with that journey because it's kind of a lot about me and it's a lot about my own heart. And that's just, I don't know, we're quite an, I'm quite an individualistic person, and can, Canadian culture tends to be a lot that way. And so, so far, the journey has been lots about me. And that's beautiful. Of course it is. God loves me. Uh, but this is where we start to round this awkward corner, especially for Western minds, is that uh, relationship with other people, like whole relationships with other people, peace amongst us, it's not just the benefit of finding freedom. It's not the reward of being free. It's like, oh, now I have friends. It's actually essential to the journey. God uses relationships and he uses community to actually, it's part of the journey. It's part of it. It's part of our freedom. And this is a little bit countercultural. I'm much more inclined to go fix myself by myself off in a corner. And once I'm done fixing myself, I will then reintroduce myself to all of you as a perfectly fixed individual. You're welcome. Uh, That kind of makes sense to me, but that is actually not the model of 
holistic freedom that we see, Jesus is saying is how his kingdom works. We don't go fix ourselves off to the side. We actually do it together somehow. So this is what we're going to be talking about today. So apparently the next step in our freedom, the next step in our freedom is seeing our sin in a larger context than just ourselves. It's a little awkward. I don't love doing that. I don't like seeing my sin in a macro context. I like avoid that like the plague. So what does a peacemaker mean? Let's just be clear about what this means. The implication of this term peacemaker, it's those who are, those who seek the kingdom of heaven actively make peace. They're, they're, the goal is peace amongst everyone for everything. That's a huge, huge, crazy, big, lofty goal. Uh, whether you're the offender or the offended, which is of course of all, is all of us, peace is the tenacious pursuit of a Jesus follower. Like an active pursuit of peace. We're going to go make it. It's interesting to think about. Sometimes I think of peace as an accident that happened when we all managed to get along. But peace is something that has gone and made actively. The reality is, Jesus will not have anything less than complete reconciliation amongst his children in his family. He's the Prince of Peace. The kingdom of heaven is a totally unified, reconciled community of people with you in it, go figure. With you in it. And we're completely reconciled and whole and peaceful. That is, Jesus will settle for nothing less than that in his family, in his kingdom. Complete peace, where he reigns. It's beautiful, and apparently it's possible. It's not just like a one-day heaven fairy tale kind of thing. He is committed to making peace here and now amongst us in his church, in his body. Okay. So in order to get there, I just want to unpack couple of barriers that we see to peacemaking in and amongst us and in our world. What are the barriers to peacemaking? First one I've kind of alluded to, and I call it me problems. Okay, I'm going to explain what I mean by that. I am very, very, I, I instinctively make all my problems me problems, and they're just about me. Uh, I I spend significant energy making sure that my problems stay me problems. Isolated, I got this, sort of, kind of, but I'm not going to let it affect anybody else around me. This is a me problem. I think we say that all the time. Now, here's what the problem is with thinking that all our problems are just me individual problems, is that that starts to look like a personal, private tiny little small addiction that nobody knows about that is totally in control N nobody is even affected by it I got this I'm figuring it out like, we've all been there we've all been there uh, the problem is is that it is just a you problem until it isn't until something happens and the beginning of every addiction is this is just a me problem and what a clever thing for the enemy to come along and whisper in your mind and be like, this is, you got this. This is just a you problem. <laughs> what a clever thing because let me go, yeah, for sure, because I'm not going to let anybody else know about this. So 
I am going to make sure it stays a me problem, and I'm going to make I'm going to keep having self-made solutions, and I'm going to keep looking deeper and deeper inside myself for my own strength and power and ability, and I'm going to keep. And the trajectory is deeper and deeper inside. And if you've ever been addicted to something, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And any attempt to pull yourself up actually ends up being the very thing that has you crash back down. And I think a lot of it comes from our commitment to make to to this idea of this is a me problem. Now, I wouldn't blame you for thinking, like, Jonathan, like, chill. Like, my addiction is really mild. Like, it's really soft. <laughs> I thought this. It's like, I wrote some examples. I disengage using media when I'm anxious. I just unplug a bit. I just unplug a bit. It's not exactly ruining the lives of my friends and family. Or you could think, chill, I, I just have, like, some lustful thoughts to comfort myself, but I don't even really even act out on them, and nobody even knows, and it's just like a me problem that I'm working on. I mean, how is that anyone else's problem but mine? That's a, that's a question you should ask yourself. I think it's a good question. How is this anybody else's problem but mine? Okay. Most of us do succeed at controlling our addictions enough, we can control them enough to, stay with me, we control them enough to blur the line, to blur the equal sign between my behavior and its effect on other people. Most of us actually manage for quite some time to create enough distance and blur out the equal sign sufficiently where the connection between our sinful behavior, that are me problems, seems really far away from its impact on other people. We can actually succeed at that. If you hide well enough, and you distance yourself well enough from people, the equal sign's actually pretty blurry. And you kind of got this thing going on in your mind, which I do all the time, being like, chill. It's just, a, it's just a little solution for a little thing. Okay, but here's where we have to remember the context of the Beatitudes, Okay. Here's the context. Jesus is introducing how the kingdom of heaven works. He's introducing the society, I suppose, that he is already in charge of and will be in charge of eternally. That's what he's introducing you and I to. And he's describing a new reality that has restoration of perfect relationship as its goal. Eden, Garden of Eden, perfect relationship between people and with him. He's shooting for nothing less than that. So before you go, this is a little extreme, you have to remember what he's trying to accomplish with the sermon. <laughs> he's trying to accomplish the Garden of Eden here and now. Ish. We don't have time to get into the already not yet of the kingdom, but just stay with me for today. He's shooting for Eden amongst us and with him. The kingdom of heaven doesn't have secret rooms only you know about. It doesn't have, there aren't, there aren't any there. It's like a big open throne room, quite exposing. <laughs> the kingdom of heaven doesn't have. Our kingdoms have tons of nooks and crannies and dark corners that only we, know, only we know about. His does not. So remember, the kingdom we're being invited into doesn't have those. So the hey, chill mentality 
to me is evidence that I still have no idea how comprehensively freeing and beautiful the kingdom of heaven actually is. If I'm like, just chill, what that is evidence of in my heart is I have yet to fully grasp the beauty and magnificence of what God is trying to accomplish that apparently is available through the work of Christ in his body now. So if you're feeling like, oh, this is like, my addictions are real small, I would invite you to not, don't, don't, don't assess how big or small your addictions are. For a second, let's picture the beauty of the kingdom of heaven come to earth through his body, the church, like that, he's presenting an answer. Like what Jesus is stipulating is a solution to everything you see on the news. Like nothing short of that. It's a solution. It's, it's not like a here's how to keep war at bay. It's here's how to fix the whole thing. So hey, chill is a little bit insulting. It is. It's a little bit insensitive. I have to convict, convict myself of this in preparing this message. Because remember what he's trying to do. He's trying to end it. He's trying to end war. So, maybe we all try to blur the equal sign, right? We all try to make sure our sin doesn't affect anybody. And then you, like, get married or something. Or you join a church that's annoyingly committed to discipleship, like this one is. And you're just around people all the time, and they ask you real questions. And all of a sudden, the equal sign starts to become a little more in focus, and you're like, oh, the fact that I totally disengage most evenings from all my problems is now starting to affect the people that want to love me and care for me and want to bring me along in a thing. And, or all of a sudden, the, the, what's going on in my mind has huge bearing on the way that I treat these people because like, I, you're more and more exposed. And your little tiny private thing that you had under control isn't the closer and closer you get to people. So, this beatitude encourages us to be peacemakers that don't just see our sin as an individual problem that we can manage. Jesus asks us to willingly bring it into the light and seek being known and forgiven without delay, like as fast as you can. Make the peace. Even before anybody notices, make the peace. Say, this is what's going on in my heart. This is, what I'm, this is what's like hard right now. This is what I'm tempted to rely on. Have I, has that hurt you at all? Maybe some people don't even know yet. You're so proactive in peacemaking. I find that most people know already. Maybe they wouldn't be able to put their finger on it, but if they love you and they know you well, it doesn't take long before someone goes, hmm, oh, I'd love some freedom for that person over there a little bit in that way. And I think we trick ourselves into thinking that we're tricking people when we're really not tricking people that well. So, that's the first barrier, is considering things me problems. The next one is, I think, equally difficult. And it's the one I get a little bit more righteously indignant about. Is that maybe you've worked up the courage to let all of who you are, even your brokenness, affect a wider community. By coming close, by being honest about what you're going through, by trying to make peace, by admitting your sin, by, by going the extra mile to, make, to, to, 
to ask for forgiveness for things that you've done that might have hurt someone, like you're trying to live an open life. And you're trying to let yourself receive forgiveness from people and, and, and let, see your sin in a larger, in a relational context. So brave. <laughs> so brave. You do that only to realize that the people with which you kind of exposed yourself to had no intention of making peace with you. Maybe that's happened to you. Maybe you've wound up in an environment like a church or a friend group or a, or a work environment or whatever, and you were, and you were yourself and you didn't hide. And then people didn't accept that. And they made, what is our second problem? Your me problems. They went, yeah, those are you problems. That's our second barrier. Yeah, those are you problems. So here's the thing. Peace is a two-player sport. It's a two-players the restorative aspect of this particular beatitude is that the forgiveness that a repentant addict, which is all of us, received from God personally earlier in the journey is manifested and experienced from and within the wider community. The forgiveness that we experience personally from Jesus actually is designed to be experienced again and manifested in and amongst us. So that you don't just have to stay by yourself, you and Jesus. You actually get to walk with people and belong and be in family. And so peace is a two-player thing. Because now the, the community that we walk into has to be just as interested in peace. And here's why. So often, this is what happens in the church too often is that when people's broken journeys start to affect us, we say that's a you problem. And when you fully fix that, I might draw close to you. So go back to your dark corner of a room and close the door. We don't say that out loud, but the fact is, is that, uh, and the reason why the repentant addicts don't like coming close is because they know that there's a cost to sin. It breaks relationship. It does. And so peace is, peace is the reconciliation of two parties. So to be a peacemaker means that even the forgiving, absorbing party must be just as committed to the vision of kingdom peace. If it costs the person coming out of hiding, if it costs them, obvious reasons, the exposure, it's a huge cost. It costs the receiving community, they have to absorb the cost of whatever the problem was. There's, there's, <laughs> the church is designed to be a place where people bring People bring their difficulties and they bring their addictions and they bring the things they've been clasping onto. And the church goes, come, we're, we're just like you and we will we'll take the hit of who you are. <laughs> like, we'll take those punches. We'll take them willingly. So, have you guys noticed that peacekeeping forces, you ever seen the peacekeeping forces on the news, are in full body armor? Like, peacekeeping is dangerous. Like, if you're, if you're going in to make peace, you're taking shots. You put, you're, you're, you're in the crossfire. And I think a lot of the time, we're not willing to engage in the crossfire of other people's problems. Because it does hit us. It does. 
have to remember, we're all both things, okay? There's not just the righteous church people and just the addicts, okay? We're all both things, in case that wasn't clear. So Jesus is the only one who is actually purely offended, purely offended by us. God is the only one who's actually only the offended party because he's perfect and he's love and he doesn't sin. He stepped into harm's way for our sake. As the prince of peace, he steps in and takes the hit of all hits on, for the sake of reconciliation. He is, he's the prince of peace and it cost him everything. So this is the argument for today is that peace and the kingdom definition is actually an us problem. Peace is an us problem. So for peace, one person is repenting usually and the other is forgiving usually, but both require the work of Christ and both are necessary for kingdom peace. We need both the repentance and we need the forgiveness. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Could you imagine if everybody was going as far as possible to live at peace with their neighbor? Both sides? Both sides? The persecutors and the victims, all, both of them decided to go, as far as it depends on me, I will be at peace with you. That's incredible. Um, just a personal example. There have been people in my life who have needed me to be different before they would come close to me because I have lots of gaps. I have lots of incompleteness. I have lots of ongoing commitments to things that almost satisfy. I'm discovering more and more all the time. More and more all the time. And there's been people in my life who I've tried to come close to and I, it hasn't been received. And I would be repentant. By God's grace, I would be repentant for whatever they think I've done wrong. But in order to have peace with them, I actually need them to be a peacemaker too. Because the fact is, I don't think I could fix myself to be worthy of any, enough to be worthy of any relationship. Could you fix yourself enough to be loved? Of course you can't. <laughs> You need someone to be just as much of a peacemaker on the other side as you're willing to be. You can't fix yourself enough to be loved. Good luck with that. And so it's been hard sometimes. It's going, man, I, it's so vulnerable to go, I know that I'm broken. The most I can do is be honest about it and ask for forgiveness. What a vulnerable space. And then a peacemaker on the other side goes, I receive that. I forgive you. Now we have peace. It's a two-player sport. So how are we going to do this? That's like, I mean, in one sense, it's like, okay, obviously, if, 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 the, if the offending party was like, all my fault, and then the, the, the party that was offended said, all good, everything would be fine, right? So why don't we see that? Why don't we see it? How is this supposed to work? In order to see things as an us problem, we need a vision of kingdom of heaven as it was intended. So let me try to give this a go, and we're going to look at Colossians 3.15 to help us. It says this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. 
That's the vision of the church that Paul is presenting here in Colossians. Now notice that it doesn't say, let the peace of humanity rule in your hearts. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Okay, I, I made this up, but I drew what I would imagine the peace of humanity to look like. Okay, you can put that slide up. This is the peace of humanity. There's me, and there's you. And now we've got to figure it out. Right? This is called war. <laughs> because the way that human peace works is largely through power games, right? I have more power than you. So I guess I win. So I guess we have peace. That's not the peace that Jesus is talking about. That's just so-and-so had, was stronger. That's just, oh, we figured out who to blame. That's, human peace is just, you got to pick a side. And it's really unstable. It's really unstable. And, and things just teeter-totter back and forth. You, me, you, me, you, me. Now, the peace of Christ, put, this, put that verse back up, the next one for me. Yeah, so here's the peace of Christ is, though. Peace of Christ is the peace that Jesus bought. It's the peace that he bought with his own blood. It's the forgiveness of all sins. It's the empowerment to forgive. The peace of Christ is the peace that he bought. Okay, so how does this work? Supposedly, that needs to rule in our hearts. The peace of Christ is the environment that overshadows every action amongst us. Somehow, the peace that Christ bought is the overshadowing, it's the, it's the thing we see most primarily as we engage in all of our relationships with each other. It's the peace that Christ bought. As members of one body, you were called to peace because the body of Christ, the church, is called to peace because there is no disunity in Christ's body. There isn't disunity. He's the head, and if you're part of his body, it's a fully peaceful place. It's a fully reconciled place. And so he goes, I'll buy... I will purchase all of the ability for you to belong to it. That's how it works. The peace of Christ rules in this community. The peace that I bought rules here. And I, will, I Jesus speaking, have paid fully for the ability to you, for you to belong in perfect peace with other people. And that is the rule of law amongst us, is the gospel. The rule of law is the peace that Christ bought personally. So in short, every action toward one another in the church must be done in light of Christ or we will not have peace. You can put this diagram up. There you go. Super sophisticated, right? Maybe you'll remember. Everything we do, every action towards one another, you look at him, not the other person. And the gospel dwells among us richly. So how does this work? Conclude with this. Both the repentant and the forgiver engage 100% because Jesus engaged 100% to make both possible. It's beautiful. That's why he's the Prince of Peace. So, for the sinner entering into family, for the, for, which is all of us, right? But maybe you feel a little more like that today. For the sinner entering into family, keep your eyes fixed on what Jesus has paid for you. Don't let how you're received be the determining factor. It might not, oh God, I hope that doesn't happen to you. But if it does, God forbid, if you're not received, 
we look at Christ, we look at the peace of Christ that he bought and he says, he has made me completely whole and he has forgiven me. And because of that, I can be a peacemaker now, even if I'm not received well by a religious community that wants me to fix myself more before I can belong. I'm gonna keep my fixed eyes on him. What does he say? Now you can be a peacemaker. Now you can walk into a community that doesn't deserve you. <laughs> and you can say, I know I'm forgiven and um, I'll let you, if you need time, like, man, the church has been so guilty of needing people to fix themselves before they can belong. So on the other side, for the affected party, keep your eyes fixed on Christ also because that person's sin has been paid for. And you know what also happens when you keep your eyes fixed on him is you get a little reminder of who you are in light of Christ. And your judgmentalism takes a little bit of a hit when you see again your how you've been forgiven. So if you're coming from that side, if there's some forgiveness that needs to happen on your behalf of other people, if there's some welcoming, if there's some non-judgmentalism that needs to be confronted in your heart, fix your eyes on Christ because you forgive because you've been forgiven 100%. That's the piece of Christ that was bought. It was bought for you, so use it. Use that one. Use the forgiveness that's been, use it. He paid for it. You already have it. Use it. That's what's supposed to rule here. I love how peace is so active. Like God's goodness just runs after us. It's so active. And then he calls us forward. It's, 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 it's this active peace. I found this great quote. You can put that on for me. I think you can click twice. But yeah. It's a quote by Henry Nouwen. Yeah, read that. Let's read this. As members of the Christian community, we are not primarily for each other, but for God, primarily. We're not primarily for each other, we're for God. Therefore, the Christian community is not a closed circle of people embracing each other, but a forward-moving group of companions bound together by the same voice asking for their attention. The same voice is asking for our attention. He's like, remember me? Remember what I did? And we're, I'm going to call you forward. I'm going to call you forward as you keep your eyes fixed on me. And as you keep your eyes fixed on me and you see the peace that I've bought, you will extend it to each other, no problem and you'll be companions who extend grace and mercy to one another, and you welcome in the people, and you take blows. <laughs> you take blows because people are around, but our, your eyes are fixed on me, and everything that affects you, you go, you paid for that too. You paid for that too. Help me forgive again. That fixes it. It fixes it. It ends war. Because a shot fired is a reminder of what's already been paid for. No matter how deep the wound goes, it's just a further evidence of how powerful the peace that's already been bought is. It fixes it. Like guys, why do you think we're so committed to this church thing? You think it's like, a, like a, one of the better social clubs you can find? No, you and I have signed up for the solution. Yeah, it's painful, but it works. The gospel, when we keep our eyes fixed on it, actually leads a group of people deeper and deeper into peace amongst one another. When Christ is put in his rightful place as the, per as the person that captures our entire imagination and attention and affection, the only possible fruit of that, if it's understood properly, is peace amongst us. Real peace. Peace that was actually bought. So why? Why should we be peacemakers? What does it say in our, in our verse? What will they be called? Children of God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Peacemakers receive family. Peacemakers receive community. Peacemakers belong, of course. Not just any family, God's family, an eternal family. Peaceful family is possible, but only in light of what Christ has done. If you and I stare at each other looking for justice and peace, if we just are locked eyes, you and I, just being like, whose fault is this? <laughs> whose fault is this? Is this a, do I have to do the hard thing again? And we're just staring at each other and we don't lift our eyes, we won't find peace. We'll be judgmental or we'll hide. Don't stare at each other. Don't look for human peace. Don't look for human peace. Jesus did a different thing. I don't have this slide up there because I added it just a minute ago. John 14, 27, Jesus speaking, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Do not give, I do not give to you as the world gives. I do not give you peace by winning. I don't give it that way. I don't get just beating the world's powers. I gave it in a different way. It's my peace. Okay, what's his peace? And you look at the cross and go, okay, that is the plan for peace. That is the plan. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. My friends, what Jesus has done works for reconciliation. It does. It does. Don't be afraid. He can give you his peace. So, who are you called to make peace with? How do you need Christ's peace? Where does it need to rule? Maybe you are feeling a little bit like you want to hide and you are feeling like God's asked you to, asking you to come a little closer to other people and to him, which, of, which by definition involves a little bit more admission of the relational costs of your brokenness, which is never fun. Maybe Jesus is inviting you to say, I want to give you my peace. I'm going to remind you that that's paid for. Maybe you feel like an offended party today. Maybe you feel as though you've been taking some hits of other people's brokenness a little these days or something. And your heart's feeling a little judgmental and your heart's hoping that they would change. Do you need to be given a different kind of peace? Or are you looking for the peace that the world gives? Don't look for the peace the world gives. Look for his. Keep your eyes fixed on him and go, oh Lord, you've forgiven me. How could I ever? How could I ever withhold what you've so graciously given me? Oh man, We've been given so much. And if you haven't experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, none of that sermon just made any sense to you. Right? It wouldn't have made sense, maybe logically. But at the heart level, you go, I don't even know what it is that I would be giving. Oh, but when you taste pure forgiveness from God, who you've offended most, <laughs> and he says, I'll... I love you and I'll pay for it as long as you and I can be together. It changes you. And we call it salvation around here. And then the only possible thing you can do is live out of the reality of that. That's the plan for peace. That's the plan. So if you have never experienced that forgiveness or that mercy initially like we've been talking about in the last weeks, don't go making peace with anybody else. You'll just be doing human peace and it'll really frustrate you. But if you want to receive forgiveness and mercy from him, from him for the first time or again, man, I invite you to do that. That's where, always where peace begins, is a realization of that. I'll invite the team up and probably time for one song. Sorry, I got a little excited there. Maybe it was the announcement's fault. There was quite a few of those. I'm going to blame those.
Father, um, I, I just admit that I am so quick to look for human peace. I am so quick to want justice that I can see. But Lord, you didn't give as the world gives and thank you for not giving as the world gives. Lord, if you gave as the world gives, we would not be here. We would be completely hopeless and lost if you treated us the way we treat each other. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for not treating us that way. You were so generous. You loved us so lavishly, undeservedly, and we received that love, that unmerited love yet again from you. Oh, the reality of forgiveness is almost incomprehensible. May it always start there. And that, Father, as we receive that yet again here today, as we humble our hearts, as we receive your mercy, as we, as we, as we worship you with our hearts' pure devotion, I pray that that would have an effect in the world around us. I pray that we would actively make peace. I pray that we would never hold people's sins against them. You don't. And instead, we'd look at you. So God, right now, if there's things that we need to come into the light for, if there's amends that need to be made, for maybe things that need, just, if there's things that need to be forgiven, would we tenaciously run after being forgiven? If that's the way we need to make peace in our lives, so be it. Let us receive forgiveness again. That's all it is. I pray that you would cover those people. Cover them with your mercy, your grace, what you are, and with a loving community. Oh Lord, empower our community to be loving in that moment. May they not be judged. And Father, if there's people who, that we're harboring bitterness against, if there's people that, are, that we feel don't deserve yet more forgiveness, we fix our eyes on you and go, no, you bought everything, even mine. Fill us again with the beauty of your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna sing one song together while we do. There's a prayer. There'll be people on the side that can pray with you. If you want to pray with someone, you can pray with people next to you. Whatever the response looks like to you, I invite you to do that.